This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform. I am sitting here with Eat Perform coach Sarah Willens. Sarah, if you want to say hi to everyone. Hi. So her her mic is a little weird at the moment. If she positions it a certain way, it sounds like there's a hurricane attacking the webinar. And then if she pushes it away, her voice isn't as good. Um, so let me just describe this scene, what you guys cannot see on the podcast. Sarah has on her video game mic, um, and so she is routinely talking to what I imagine is a field of World of Warcraft people, and, or what is your flavor of choice, Sarah? I think I can change it so you don't have to hear me. Right oh, now. that's is perfect. That better? Yeah, that's a lot better. Okay. All right, there we go. Um, yeah, I... Played well for a really long time. I beta tested it. Um, I played it for like eight years. I just recently stopped playing it. Um, I've been actually playing this season of Diablo three, so, so pretty heavy. So, so. <laughs> we are getting a little bit of an echo. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, okay. But the uh, yeah no like saying that you're a beta tester is like video game geek. You know that that that's the end all be all right. I mean, you don't get paid for beta testing, you know, but but the, it's like a, a a sense of pride. And I I know this a little bit. You know, what's funny is when when uh, the the Xbox came out, I was like, this is cool. But man, could you imagine how cool it would be is if you could play with your friend in Jacksonville? Yeah. And I mean, that changed everything, you know. Online, I mean, I always played console games growing up, but um, online gaming was a whole new dynamic. I had to have been like 11. I started playing EverQuest, and then I just fell in love, and I've been addicted to online gaming ever since. I can't play video games. Um, I I am I get motion sick. And really? So, yeah. And so uh, this is probably, uh, I can't even remember the gaming system, but Turok, does that mean anything to you? It was like a... Um, it was like a 3D. It was similar to Doom. Um, okay. And and basically it was a first-person shooter. And, you know, it would move around. And, I mean, I would end up vomiting after like 15 minutes. That's actually really common with first-person shooters. It depends on the field of view. That's more common than you think it is. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> after talking to many people about it, um, I definitely know it's fairly common. So normally we, this is reserved for training talk and, and we certainly, you know, we have a number of people that are sitting in on the call today and we can certainly take training questions. We can take any questions that you guys would like, but today we're going to talk a little bit about whether or not you can do eat perform and not track. And some of the strategies that you might use in that scenario. So one thing I want people to keep in mind as we start talking about this is we're talking about keeping activity as a priority in your life and then using these strategies and kind of listening to kind of the signals that your body is giving you rather than just going willy-nilly and and going, well, I'm just going to plow through this and, and hopefully there's um, some gold at the end of the rainbow. If there's any one thing that I would say to people 
is that that gold at the end of the rainbow stuff, you know, I mean, we used to like trust the process as an example, it used to be a, a huge thing in the eat perform world. And after a while, I just started hating that, you know, because I, you know, I would have people say to me like, well, I'm trusting the process, you know, but in that process, you know, I've gained 15 pounds. I'm like, well, you're on the wrong process. Like, stop trusting that process, you know. Um, but I think I, I, I think if people were really honest with themselves, they would say, hey, look, you know, I've been dieting since I was 12 years old. And you know what? I wanted a piece of damn cheesecake. And, you know, like, like to be truthful, that's a little bit of, of most people's story. And so what we're going to walk you guys through is a little bit of kind of an intuitive way of eating. What's funny about Eat Reform is that Eat Reform did not start off as a tracking protocol. When James and I initially started writing the, the, the articles um, on Eat Reform, it was so obvious, you know, just judging from the feedback that we were getting on Facebook, that almost everyone was under eating, you know, or they weren't eating in a way that would help them perform it. And sort of coming from, you know, my background of being overweight and really struggling with that for roughly about a 10 year period. Um, and it really was a little bit longer than that. But you know, I didn't think I was struggling at that point, you know, because like what would happen is I, I'd get over 200. I would not eat M&Ms and Coke for a couple days and then, you know, back to 185. And so uh, for the most part, I was able to manage it, but it started to get difficult into my 30s. Um, you know, Sarah, I know that Sarah, if you're not familiar with the Eat Reform, we have a meal planning group. We had meal planning templates for all the ways that people could eat. One of the things that I've always stressed with Eat Reform is that Eat Reform is about eating an adequate amount of food without judgment. And so we have a vegetarian template that can be customized to vegan. We have, you know, flexible eating. And then we have mostly whole foods. If you want to call that paleo, no problem on our end, right? Um, any Any... You know, I mean, do you ever eat intuitively or are you mostly just kind of stick to tracking because that's what feels most right for you? Um, I have days. Like, I don't – we all kind of live life a little bit sometimes. So a lot of the time I've been doing this for long enough now that I can tell when I've not had enough protein. I can tell when I'm under eating in carbs or, or that I've kind of eaten something that didn't fit around my timing very well. Um, you can just feel it. I can feel like if I under eat in protein, my body feels a little bit swollen. Um, I feel a little bit down. I'm usually more hungry and then I'm wanting to shove carbs in my face a lot more, um, which isn't a bad thing, but you know, if I'm under in protein, you need to get that in. And, uh, you know, it's just, you learn after doing this for a little while of, Hey, I need, my body needs this. I can tell my body needs this. Let me get this in. Or hey, I, I'm starving, but wait, Oh, I'm probably dehydrated. Let me drink some water and see if it's me wanting quick carbs or if it's me, my body wanting some water. So I think that part of doing this and not getting too strict about it and getting lost in those rules and, and macros is being able to determine how you feel and maybe what your body needs. Yeah, because I, I, I think that there's a fear 
you know, where if you listen to your body, that's just going to ruin everything, you know. And, you know, when you think of things from a lifetime standpoint, you know. And so I thought it would be kind of interesting because, you know, I'm sort of experimenting with, with kind of my old friend, you know, of intuitive eating as I am looking into a cut. And I, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of that guy, you know, I'm non-committal on uh, a performance-focused fat loss cycle. Um, but so far, you know, what I've been doing is, is working out and I'm pretty happy with my results so far. So I started Monday and, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about fasting and some of the ideas with fasting. Here's the problem with fasting. Okay. And I think if the tendency is to go, I need to reduce my calories and you reduce your calories and you don't see a result and you start to pursue more and different ways to reduce your calories. It doesn't matter if you're doing fasting or Weight Watchers or whatever it is, you're going to run into like some roadblocks in that scenario. And so when I talk about fasting, I'm going to talk about strategies. And so as an example, when I am not in a performance focused fat loss phase and I am working on expansion, I have oatmeal virtually every single morning and that oatmeal has about 700 calories in it because it has honey and peanut butter. So if you want to call that fasting, go right ahead. I just call it, I don't eat 700 calorie oatmeal with peanut butter and honey in it. You know, and I think that people get sort of caught up in that. But what's kind of interesting about that, and I'm, I'm sorry, but somebody took away my tissues. Um, oh, no, here we go. The um, So, Sarah, if you could take over for just a second and give, give your thoughts. Um, at, I'll be right back. Yeah, totally. I got it. Um, in terms of fasting, I think um, usually what I will do is like, I just got actually out of a 12-week um, performance-focused fat loss cycle, and um, I kind of use it on my rest days to, um, like, naturally, I'm not a breakfast person at all. So I will, on my rest days, I'll, I will kind of use uh, somewhat of intermittent fasting to um, shorten the amount of time that my calories get in, um, and it helps me not feel like I'm spreading a thinner amount of food out all day um, and I feel full, I feel better whenever I do that. Um, and I tend to naturally do that on my days when I'm maintaining as well. Um, but that's just me naturally. I'm not actually ignoring body signals. Like I'm not going to be like, I have to eat at after 12 to 7 because I'm trying to, you know, I only need to eat in the seven hour window. Um, and I'm ignoring those body cues where like I'm starving all the way until 12. It's kind of just naturally how my body um, reacts. Like I'm good. I can wake up in the morning and have like a cup of coffee and not really eat until 11. And I feel okay doing that. Um, and it also helps in my rest days. So I'm, you know, I'm not like, oh, I'm missing an extra 100 grams of carbs. I, I can feel it, you know. Um, um, but like during my maintenance phase, like I don't really fast so much except for on my rest, but I can tell you that whenever I'm actually focusing on a cut, I do definitely utilize it, and it's just to help me 
mentally get around having a reduced set of calories. Yeah, and so maintenance and normalization in general, you know, the goal is going to be to normalize the amount of food that you should normally eat when you aren't in a dieting cycle, right? That's what essentially performance-focused fat loss is. And so what we're an advocate of, no matter what you do, I mean, we would, you know, as much as I like to say, you know, it really applies to all humans and things of that nature, I'm really a strong advocate for some level of resistance training when you start to normalize, just because one of the problems that people have is that the the water from carbohydrates or really you know breaking down bodily store bodily fat you know really there's a benefit to where you kind of bring that energy into the cell and then kind of go from there right and so that ends up being kind of a plus and so resistance training Along with some walking, running, jogging, you know, those things tend to be fairly beneficial. And once again, it sort of changes, you know, the good majority of the time you're going to be, you know, not dieting. I mean, I would say that for a long time, you know, fasting was kind of a big thing in my life. And I would just adjust the window and I didn't really do what Sarah said. Right. So I would have like cold extremities. Um, my feet would be cold all the time. My hands would be cold all the time. And I sort of learned that, you know, that is, you know, as much as like if you've ever been around a fasting group, you know, all the people say, oh, that's totally normal. It's totally normal for you to lose your hair. It's like, first of all, if I'm losing my hair, I'm out. See ya. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it's not normal. And really, if you look at, you know, fasting and some of the signals that your body are giving you, you know, it's not, I'm not arguing that you shouldn't have fat loss as a goal on a list, but I am arguing that, you know, the more you pursue the extremes, the more recovering from those extremes is going to be difficult. And so that's one of the things that you have to, you know, like I said, you know, if you want to call it fasting, you can call it fasting. What Sarah's saying, intermittent fasting, is basically you're using a window. Maybe that window is 12 hours. Maybe that window is 14 hours. You know, for my wife, as an example, you know, 10 to 11, you know, actually 10 was her window. So, like, as an example, um, you know, she'd go to bed at 9 o'clock at night, which means that, you know, her window was was basically what uh you know 10 hours from there it's 11 o'clock the very next day usually it was like between 10 and 11 if she started feeling hungry she would eat you know and then gradually she became more um able to use stored stored body fat and so it wasn't as uncomfortable but when you first start off and you're eating intuitively and we'll give you other strategies other than fasting, but I, I can tell you that fasting is a tool that is very, very useful. But there's some things about fasting that you absolutely need to know, right? Um, any thoughts before we sort of move into some of those ideas, Sarah? Um, no, not really out of the game. I'm actually kind of interested what you're going to go. So what's, go what's funny about this is as, as I was messaging Sarah and seeing if that she would be available for this call, 
uh, she's like, I'm totally scared. This is going to be totally weird. You know, and meanwhile, she's like running, you know, she's fine. No big deal. I, I mean, I knew she'd be, we, we have these calls similar to the podcast on um, staff meetings all the time. And she's an active participant, so I knew she'd be fine. So probably the first thought I have is, is that if you're fasting, I've not seen many people do fasting well where they start their window early. And by that, I mean you would eat the majority of your food at the beginning of the day and then you would stop at, say, 5 p.m. and then kind of go from there. It's sort of like the old Oprah way of doing things, right, where you you don't eat any food, you don't eat carbs, you don't eat even a grape. You know, I mean, I just remember, I, I just remember that like echoing in my head. Um, so most people, you know, I'm not saying that someone out there couldn't do it. Right. But I'm just saying that the good majority of people that are doing kind of a, a, a strategy as it relates to energy output and energy input, typically their window is going to be. Um, where they're going to leave out breakfast. So then it comes out, well, you know, isn't breakfast the most important meal of the day? Well, if you want to know the truth, you know, I mean, my fat loss journey had a lot of fasting involved with it. And a lot of it was in the in the morning. So the the, the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, was I better off at 230 pounds? Or am I better off at 175, right? And so I was able to use it as a strategy. And so I think, you know, I mean, I, I get it. You know, we got to sell a lot of grains. You know, grains are subsidized. And so we have to put out this this mantra that breakfast is the best part of the day. And oh, by the way, there's nothing stopping you from breaking your fast. That's what breakfast is, right? At noon, and having eggs at that time or having, you know, like, you know, for the longest time, eggs, ribeyes, followed by yogurt. And, and you know, I mean, I remember eggs, ribeyes, yogurt and sweet potato. That would be how I would break my fast with 2000 calories every single day, you know, for like a really super long time. And and people are like, wow, you ate 2000 calories well, that was a little that was a little of the strategy I had to figure out, you know. By three o'clock I'd be napping. Um so it was sort of the lion on the savannah kind of thing. Um but yeah, the uh uh so I had to sort of figure out that like having that much food, you know, did cause kind of a, a sleepy type thing. Um any well, fasting also too, so if if it can go the other way around. So if you primarily oh my webcam's like coming in and out. And if you primarily train in the morning, um, wouldn't you then kind of flip it? Depending too, you could. Well, see, that's what I—that's what I'm arguing. Actually, that yeah. that you you could do that, okay? But I would actually, and 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 some of this is anecdotal. Some of this is, hey, look, you you got what you got, and you got to work with it. But I would argue that you're better off with more volume in the morning, and people are gonna go. Oh my God, how am I going to do that? I have not eaten. Well, once again, we're really talking about a fat loss strategy at this point. 
right? We're, tre we're trying to figure out a way to intuitively get to a deficit. And so, you know, what you have to ask yourself is, when am I going to be 100%? You know, and I think that is largely individual, but if you ate the majority of your calories in an evening meal, as an example, and then you woke up the next morning, when are you going to have the most energy, right? You're going to have it in the morning. And so you're probably better off, or at least this is my experience, that if I make morning workouts a priority, then my experience is a little bit better. If I then have kind of a, a, a bigger meal, you know, I have learned to not do the 2,000 calorie meal thing. Um, but, um, and oh, by the way, you know, I don't adhere to a strict window. And let me tell you why I don't adhere to a strict window. Because when I did adhere to a strict window, you know, all the bullshit messages that we talk about all the time started to happen. I mean, we're, we're really talking about, you know, six years ago at this point. But, I mean, I remember making a list of all the foods that I was going to eat in three hours. You know what I mean? And so at that point, you sort of know you're a little too extreme, you know. And you start obsessing about food and things of that nature. And and so what, what Mike calls that and we're talking about dr mike t nelson he writes a lot of the the um, materials for you to perform and he's also one of the phds that that teach us the method um and you know we kind of you know work with you know various ideas and if somebody's struggling with something you know we'll bring it to to brad and mike but Mike refers to that as the minimal effective dose and the natural tendency, especially the people that are like, you know, fasting or something like that is to go to maximal effective dose. And, you know, part of what I figured out was, you know, maximal effective dose has you with cold hands all the time, cold feet and fantasizing about food and and so, you know, kind of keep that in mind as you're kind of walking through this process that you you really just want to slowly acclimate your body to kind of this way of thinking. Um, can you make the case? I mean, you know, what's interesting about what your question is, is that was my introduction to the nutrition world, right? Was various strategies that, you know, at that time I was CrossFitting um, and various strategies related to fasting because fasting was very popular. It's not as popular right now, you know. I don't think the buzz with fasting is near as big as it was. And, you know, you had a lot of people trying to CrossFit doing a one day on, one day off kind of thing. And it was like they, you know, they were working at like 40% all the time. And so my article on how you would fast and actually work out at 100% was wildly popular. And so- I, I, followed, I followed it along for a long time because at one point I was like eating like 1300 calories a day, crossfitting every other day and losing my hair and being cold all the time and, and trying to only eat in like a six, seven hour window, you know, and everything I, I followed along for that and actually that uh, changed my world a little bit I remember when you started putting those articles out about changing the way that you 
fasted and applied it to CrossFit. Yeah, because because um, what what the gist of what I was saying was is that if you put the majority of the energy around the time, and and obviously you know, you didn't go so extreme with with calorie deprivation. If you put the majority of your energy around the times that you were going to work out, you would work out better and you would see better results. And, you know, I have to say, I mean, like, you know, what most people would consider to be my best results were at that time. It's not what I would consider to be my best results. And, you know, for a lot of people, body composition is the holy grail, right? They've been chasing, you know, 7% body fat their whole life and they can't figure out how to get to it. Or in the case of a female, 13 to 15%. But for me, you know, I, I just want to look good naked. You know, I just want, yeah, I just want, I just want to, and I want to be, I want to be capable and I want to go out to date night and I want to enjoy my life, you know, and, you know, make no mistake about it. The most athletic people tend to have the, the best body composition. Now, is there some level of, you know, I was watching Deadpool. Uh, did you did you see that movie at all? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. The second it came out. <laughs> yeah, and like Ryan Reynolds is like is like super. I would love to know what his weight is. You know, because he's not like your typical superhero. You know. No, I don't, he's not very tall either. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think. I, th I was looking at him and I was thinking to myself, he's about one hundred sixty-five to one hundred seventy pounds. You know, mm -hmm. and you know, I think that a lot of people look at. You know, the argument, like if you saw Jake Gyllenhaal in Southpaw, I mean, that that was like unreal, you know, what he looked like. And the accusations is that a lot of these people end up using steroids, you know, to kind of get this this body composition. Honestly, I, I don't know that they do. You know, I really don't. I mean, like like if you've ever met now, Sylvester Stallone is pretty open about his use. But if 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 you've ever met Sylvester Stallone in real life, you know, he's like five four. You know, yeah. I mean, these guys like the camera really does kind of help their their experience. But you know, it was interesting they did a they did a interview with Jake Gyllenhaal um, about his role in Southpaw. And I mean, I've never seen anybody with a, uh, like on camera with the kind of his physique that he had and so if you haven't seen that movie or you want to google those images go right ahead because i think that what he's saying in those they asked him what kind of diet he was on to look like that and he said are you kidding me he's like i was not dieting at all he's like i ate chipotle three times a day you know and and i mean it, you know given chipotle's recent struggles you know, I don't know that uh, he he would necessarily um, put that out there now, but uh, yeah. So, so when we're talking about you know trying to come to some level of calorie balance, you know, if you're going too fast, my argument would be work out where the most energy is and then if 
you can't work out, let's say in the morning. Like that, that was the thing that I kind of introduced to the CrossFit community as an example, but also into the intermittent fasting community was the way that you could time your windows so you could put more energy towards your workouts. And as long as you didn't go too extreme, like Sarah was saying, one day on, one day off, you know, you wouldn't be digging too deeply into the tank, but you would be making your body more insulin sensitive. There's a lot of pluses to fasting, you know, but there's some, some negatives that a lot of people don't think about that we're obviously talking about right now. And, and certainly you would never see that in any intermittent fasting book that you could lose your hair, that your nails get brittle, that you're, you're cold all the time, you know. And that's not a fasting problem. That's a you're fasting too extreme problem, right? I think whenever I was doing it at my peak, like I was the smallest I've ever been. I'll actually have to send you photos later so you can see how tiny I was. I was crossfitting a, a ton and everything. But I would have like really bad blood sugar crashes right when I got out of CrossFit and have a horrible panic attack almost every single day. Yeah. My hair was falling out and it was terrible. How, uh, and that's because I was taking it to an extreme. How old are you, Sarah? Me? Yeah. I'm, I'm 30 now. I just turned 30. See, that's what I need people to hear. That, that a 30-year-old woman was losing her hair from dieting too extremely. You know, and you go, well, she's not talking about dieting. She's talking about fasting. No, we're kind of talking about dieting here because why do you resort to fasting? You resort to fasting because it's the more extreme option. And then after fasting, you go to HCG. And then after that, you go to bariatric surgery. And you know what I mean? Like it's always some other new level of extreme that makes things, you know, kind of like you're always chasing this unobtainable goal. And so yeah. so what we're trying to do is just allow for some level of of doing that. So you know, simply put, you know, kind of moving on um, to kind of more uh, of other strategies that you can eat intuitively. So if for instance you have to work out at noon, uh you know, my experience is that you would want your window if if for instance your window um you wanted to stick to a strict 12 hour window something like that um or even like a 14 hour window you can shut your food off at 7 7 30 and then start eating again at 7 30 probably closer to 9 30 so now when you work out you have some some food from that 9.30 workout, right? And can you track? Actually, um, even though I, I think like the dude's nuttier than a fruitcake, um, Martin Burkhan um, did put out a lot of stuff related to lean gains. And, you know, I mean, the, the question is, you know, the thing about Martin, which was kind of interesting because um, he, you know, was like notorious for, you're just going off the deep end. And, uh, but what was interesting about him, you know, he had this picture where he's like abbed up and, and stuff like this. And he's actually a bigger guy, you know, um, he, I think he was like 190, 195 pounds, you know, so he wasn't like, you know, a smallish guy, but he did introduce calorie counting 
to um, to fasting. And you know, if you'd ever seen any of his plans, you didn't see like this extreme type scenario because you know the problem with the extremes is that you run into adherence issues. So I do think he was a little ahead of, the, ahead of his time. But man, all you know, and I can relate to this, and I think Sarah could probably relate to this too. When you're talking to people about their health on a regular basis, you feel like this obligation to do it yourself, right? And one of the things that I've always liked about Eat Form is that what we do for ourselves is a sustainable system. There's ups and downs. And Martin would probably argue that his has ups and downs, but I would argue that he was always dieting. And so it, it lended itself to kind of this level of frustration. He was always talking to people that wanted to go more extreme, more extreme, more extreme. And that frustrated him, you know, and, you know, whether, you know, you know, I don't know the guy personally. I had a few interactions with him that were not great, you know, and and, uh, you know, so my experience with him was colored by that. But but in general, I would say lean gains, you know, probably really took fasting to the next level, the way that Martin designed it was not the way that people implemented it, you know, and there was really no great support for it. So it kind of fizzled out from that standpoint. But a lot of what I'm talking about here with fasting was really kind of birthed, you know, from lean gains and, and birthed from the way that you would kind of structure you know, maybe even calorie counting if you wanted to do that. Um, I, I I will make the argument for calorie counting. So as an example, when I am eating, you know, roughly, you know, 27 to 300, 3,000 calories a day and not really, you know, tracking it all that much, it's easy to hit your protein numbers at that point. It's easy to hit all your micronutrient levels and stuff like this. So when I take out my oatmeal, you know, now I have to adjust with some protein that that oatmeal had in it, right? And so um, normally I like to get my protein from, from real food, and I would always argue for that. But as you reduce your calories, it becomes more difficult to get your protein. And that's something that like a lot of people aren't honest about, you know, and they should be honest with you about because, you know, you have to sort of factor that in. And so, you know, from that perspective, you see, I think some of the smarter, um, you know, dieting advocates advocating for whey protein. If you have kind of a dairy um, allergy, you know, you can move to more of a hydro whey where like the, you know, they actually use that in baby formula because it breaks down into peptides and, and whether you have a dairy allergy or not, you know, it can work for you. But, uh, I mean, any thoughts on that? Because, you know, I mean, you know, I had my sister-in-law over and I love her to pieces. I mean, my, my kids think of her as a grandmother, but she constantly said, you know, I've got to get in my 60 grams of protein every single day, you know, going off of the USDA recommendation which, you know, 
what that is, is like the minimal requirement. It's sort of like your basal metabolic rate. If you were in a coma, this is how many calories you would need. If you were in a coma, this is how much protein you would need. And by the way, she's not in a coma. So she needs more protein and she's breaking down this tissue. And as you age, that's not going to be a good thing. Any thoughts about kind of all those different things? Um, in terms of like calorie reduction and, and protein, I think uh, my last cycle that I went through, I was like on my lower days, I was around 100 carbs, 165 grams of protein and 60 grams of fat. And whenever you, whenever you start taking out um, the lower end of the carbs and the fat, you're like, okay, well, I have all of this protein I have to get in that really has to have almost nothing else in it. So I did, I think I probably did supplement a little bit more than I would now that I'm in maintenance. I probably eat 95% of my protein as whole foods now. But I will agree that the more that you go into like a, a deficit or you go into a fat loss uh, phase, um, supplementation becomes a little bit more evident just to try to get the higher protein numbers so that you're maintaining that lean mass and not actually breaking down muscle tissue what, as fast as you would, you know, while you're, while you're cutting calories. Yeah, because... Um, one of the things that that is really important as you're cutting calories and and we've you know we've realized it more and more and more as we work with tens of thousands of people is that volume matters in a big big way and so um from that standpoint more hypertrophy work more sets and reps those are going to be all favorable as in terms of keeping your lean mass but if you're not providing an adequate amount of the amino acids you know you will atrophy, right? You will lose lean mass. And, and certainly the goal of this is more fat loss, right? And, and less loss of lean mass. And so if you want to kind of keep that as little as possible, that's going to be a plus. Um, any finishing notes there? I'm just going to nail it down from the standpoint of, of how you would structure your workouts and then we'll move on to some other ideas. Yeah, go ahead. So, okay. so basically, if you were, if you were noon, I'd probably shut down your window at about ten o'clock in the morning, so you have some energy. Um, you know, it depends on who you are, right? Some people have a stomach; they can have a big meal there. If if you know, I would play with size of meal, you know, um, that that allows for you the most comfortable workout. Also, the type of workout that you do matters. Some people can can can. Some people can go all the way to noon and fast and then have after that. You could try it. I, I would try it both ways and see what feels the most right. You know, what I think people want is like this basic formula that's going to give them like the most right answer all the time. And it's our experience that the more you play with it, the more you find the more correct answer. So let's say that your um, workout is at six o'clock. You can probably get away with a longer window in the morning, but what I would definitely make sure to do is have an adequate amount of starches, probably two meals before your workout. So between, let, let's say that you, you shut down your window at, at noon, you know, and, and, and the window is, is sort of, unimportant to this scenario really what we're talking about is overall calorie balance calories matter 
fasting is not magic. If you want to know if it's magic or not, eat 10,000 calories after, you know, um, uh, you know, having a 14 hour window and you'll find that you gained weight on that day. So, you know, calorie calories always matter in these scenarios. You know, it's, it's sort of funny. Like people argue that calories don't matter. And I said, well, if they don't matter, then eat, eat 10,000 calories and tell me what happens. Sorry about that, guys. I, I have to have a little coffee. I get a little amped up. Um, so basically what you would want to do at, at like a 6 o'clock workout is you probably want to have a, a biggish meal at lunch, kind of a smaller meal, and then, you know, post-workout, you know, 8, eight o'clock or so, have definitely some carbohydrates, definitely, you know, an adequate amount of protein, and then you know, obviously from that point on, you kind of move over. There's a million strategies. We can't go over all of them, but what if I, you know, work out at six and then I work out at 530 in the morning? We just can't, you know, maybe, maybe at some point, some other podcast. You just got, you just got to kind of be like, all right, well, I'm going to try this and see how this works. No, I didn't feel good doing that. Let's go with something else. And then keep just trying to apply it to your specific situation because None of us can magically go, eat this time, eat this time, eat this much, and you're going to feel fantastic. It just, it, it doesn't work that way. And, and, <laughs> and oh, by the way, you know, I mean, what we're really talking about is a strategy as it relates to um, kind of reducing calories at this point, right? Um, now, you could certainly use it in a way that's a strategy, you know, like, a good majority of the time, I was a two-meal guy, you know. Um, I just ate two big meals. Now, those two meals ultimately became like 3,000 calories. But, you know, it was just fit in my life to do it that way. You know, if you want to call that intermittent strategy, you know, or intermittent fasting, go right ahead. But, I'm, you know, I still ate an adequate amount of calories for what I did. And, you know, that was fine. But what I found was is that I just, if I added, you know, the oatmeal as an example and had smaller meals that I just liked it better. So then I moved to more of a three meal strategy. But right now I'm moving more to a two meal strategy, calories a little bit lower, um, eating more intuitively. The thing that, that, you know, we'll end on is just make sure you're getting an adequate amount of protein and make sure you're getting in an adequate amount of volume. If you're overdoing cardio if you're crossfitting five days a week you know, you're going to be tearing down some tissue that you'd like to be adding and so if you're in a cut as an example and you're normally crossfitting three to five days you know one of the best strategies that i like to introduce to people is just do the wad slow you know just go there for an hour do the wad you know where and rather than doing it in the 15 minute window or whatever it is, you know, just start the, you go to open gym, start the wide from minute one, you know, and just do it slow with rest. And that's a great way to get in an adequate amount of volume and you're going to be muscle preserving at that time. So the other strategy that I think is helpful for people is just moving to whole foods and people go well you know isn't that similar to paleo i wouldn't argue that that paleo um 
has kind of the reservation on Whole Foods. I, I, I would say that the uh, the biggest problem with, with paleo that I have, you know, is it's viewed as adult list. And now you you get into that scenario where it's kind of similar to what I was talking about with making the list of foods, you know, and, and I'm going to eat all these foods at noon. If you do a don't list and you're writing that one day a month that you're going to have birthday cake or something like that, you're probably not setting up a good relationship with food. And I'm not saying that as a judgment. I'm saying that as you can still see results and have a more flexible way of eating. What, you know, I can't remember what Dr. Corbidane's book, because they're all called like the same thing for the most part. Like there's the paleo solution and the paleo diet. And, you know, but, and I always mix up Rob Wolf's one with Dr. Corbidane's one. But, if you remember back to like the original Dr. Cordain, uh, well, one, it was mostly lean meats and veggies, and there wasn't a lot of energy from fat. And so, so like if the original, yeah, the original paleo diet super sucked, you know, and eventually, you know, they sort of moved to embracing fat over carbohydrates with the idea that you're blunting insulin and stuff like this. And now, you know, to to their credit, you know, and I don't think that they actually get enough credit for this. Um, Rob Wolf, as an example, has been someone that, you know, talked about, you know, paleo kind of saved his life. He was sick, you know, and had, you know, illness issues. And he kind of figured out that a diet of mostly meats and veggies worked for him. And then as, you know, his athletic needs were increased, he would add starches to adjust for that. And he's openly talked about white rice as one of those things. Mark Sisson, you know, actually introduces the idea of dairy. Um, and, you know, for myself... I don't feel a need to call any of these things paleo, but, you know, when you look at my journey to health, you know, I moved from a mostly processed calorie dense way of eating to a mostly whole food and more, um, thought, you know, there was more thought given to my health rather than just always eating for convenience. And so that would probably be the next strategy that I would say is that if you wanted to move to more of an intuitive way of eating, and especially when you are cutting, the problem with cutting is that if you have, you know, calorie density in the equation, and you just start to eat less of that. And so let me give you an example of what I mean. You're eating Pop-Tarts around your workouts. You're eating oatmeal in the morning. And you're eating, you know, spaghetti, you know, in, in the evening. What ultimately you're doing is you're not really af effectively addressing hunger signaling. And since we're really talking about 
you know, not dieting most of the time where you can eat a little bit more flexibly and really having shorter windows of eight to 10 days or eight to 10 weeks. At that point, you know, focus a little bit more on whole foods. And so whether we're talking about fasting or not fasting, you know, a great strategy, of course, is to move to a more whole foods way of eating, not in a super strict don't do list, right? But really more of a a, a way that um, is going to allow for you to feel full and, you know, be comfortable because, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about sleep and some strategies as it relates to sleep because you know as you start to kind of change anything in your life i mean you know your body is basically looking for homeostasis all the time and so as you start changing elements other elements change and so you have to sort of factor those in and kind of be aware of those as well so sarah you you seem to have wanted something to say there well, I, I noticed a lot of uh, a lot of people, especially when we start going into like a, a, a period of deficit, is they're like, oh, I'm hungry all the time. You know, and I look at you look over their food log, and you're like, well, more fibrous veggies, more whole foods. Like you won't even notice. I'll, I mean, you'll feel a little bit, but if you're adding more whole food based um, carbs and more fibrous veggies, you're not going to be starving. You actually might actually be quite the opposite. You actually you're very very full. Um, you know, and taking out the things that give you a small amount of food for a, a large amount of calories, especially during those periods, is a game changer. Yeah, because we we're, we're talking things. Yeah, we're talking about stomach volume at that point. Because a lot of yeah. people, a lot of people, when they first start to eat to perform, they go, "I don't understand how I'm going to get in this amount of calories." I was, I'm like, "Well, all those foods that you weren't eating." You can now start adding in some of those foods slowly and your body will acclimate, your metabolism will be better and your work capacity will be higher. And they're like, oh, it's that simple. I'm like, yeah, it kind of is that simple. It's like thinking of fasting, like how, you know, talk to me about these strategies. I don't eat the oatmeal. That's the strategy, you know. And so, you know, kind of keep that in mind. So, you know, as you can move to more of a whole foods way of eating, even if you don't have, um, you know, a kind of a window in the morning, you know, and you just like to eat breakfast, you know, focus on more food, more volume, more fiber, things of like that. Those things are going to be positive. But you have to stop at some point because if all you're doing is just banging that hammer and you never go the opposite way, you know, one of the arguments that we always make is, allow for a little bit of bounce back, right? And so, you know, if in like a 10-week period, you lose, you know, roughly um, 10 pounds, you know, allow for three pounds of bounce back as you start to add in food and move to more of a maintenance period. And so um, the other the other thing that I think is is sort of important to this discussion is having... I like having a bigger meal at night if you can, if it's comfortable for you. It's not always comfortable for everyone, but here's the argument for a bigger meal at night. A lion eats a gazelle and falls asleep and sleeps for 16 hours, right? One of the biggest things that I think we don't get a lot of credit for 
that we deserve a lot of credit for is helping people sleep. And when you eat an adequate amount of food for what you do the good majority of the time, your sleep is going to be better, especially as you can move into, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I start to have really vivid dreams or I remember my dreams. That just means that you're in REM mode. You know, that, that's a positive. That's not a negative, you know. Um, and, and once again, you know, there's always the outlier. But what I'm saying is, is that if you have some carbohydrates in a bigger meal towards the end of the day, usually you're going to sleep better. And, you know, when you diet too extremely, you know, most people find that their sleep gets compromised. And to a certain extent, I think that's normal. But I think if, if what's your adherence level going to be when you start waking up after four hours every single day? You know, it's not going to be good. And it's one of the reasons why most people ultimately go, you know what? Screw this. This isn't working. And therefore, you know, I'm going to have some cheesecake, you know, and and all of a sudden they feel better when they have that cheesecake. And so they're like, well, and then they sleep better, too. Right. And they're not putting the pieces together that it was really kind of this extreme way of doing things. You know, this is the argument for trying to lose five pounds and then reassess rather than saying, I need to lose 50 pounds. You know, at 50 pounds, you're going to naturally opt for more extreme every single time, and you constantly are trying to lose weight, rather than kind of viewing it in phases where your body composition is is getting favorable in, in periods of down, but also favorable in periods of where you're normalizing, where you're adding lean tissue in that process, you've got more muscle. I mean, one of the, you know, I mean, you know, I don't want to like go into a deep, you know, muscle building rabbit hole, but you know, when I was 150 pounds, I had 25 pounds lean mass less than I have now, you know, mm -hmm. that that's huge, you know, and it really, you know, for longevity of life, for being more capable, all these things are, are super, super positive. So now you're eating your whole foods, you're eating them intuitively, you're either fasting or not fasting. I, I'm not invested in that one way or the other. Um, you know, whatever feels the most comfortable for you. But you have to allow for some period of upregulation. Once again, are we talking about, you know, some extreme type thing? No, we're not, you know. Um, this is where the whole cheat meal thing has just gone off the rails for a lot of folks, you know, is they focus on that part and they become obsessive about it to the point where they extreme diet for six days. They start making lists. I mean, once again, I, you know, I mean, I've been in through all these phases and I'm, and Sarah's shaking her head. So is she, you know, where, you know, all of a sudden you went from having a normal relationship to food to writing lists and creating pictures and making reservations at restaurants and stuff like this to where like, holy shit, this is like dominating my life. You know, that's not the goal folks, you know? Um, and so if you look at how I've done it this week and we actually do have a question, so I'm going to probably get to that here in a second, but, 
if you look at this week, um, I'm down three pounds. I had my the CrossFit Games open, and so when um, on Friday, you know, I was sort of feeling it a little bit, and so I had my oatmeal in the morning. I had you know Chipotle double chicken, nothing too extreme. You know, didn't didn't even ask for extra rice, um, and then. I think I, I think I had some M and M's. I think I had uh, um, a couple Starbursts uh, around my workouts just because they were there. Um, not you know once again nothing too extreme. Um, the little minis. I don't know. Do you have you had those in the bag? Yeah, they're like crack. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, like like. I'm not allowed to have a bag of them. <laughs> like you know like. Have you heard of the Khloe Kardashian where she like windexes her food so she doesn't end up eating it? No. Yeah, so it's a it, it's a ver yeah, no, it is totally horrible. But if there's one argument for doing it is those little starbursts cuz those things are like crack. The first time I had them, uh, I was like in the middle of a 3-hour weightlifting session and my coach brought the bag in for like, you know, eating while we're lifting and stuff and yeah. that was it was down it was downhill from there i'm like oh well i'm gonna do one rep and then have a starburst and then one rep and have a starburst yeah <laughs> yeah the 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 but the little ones are good the my favorite are like the the ones that are like tropical fruit or whatever um and so uh as an example um and, and once again you know my wife in this scenario actually loses weight whereas I gain weight, um, but then you know we did the open workout. We went and had pizza, you know, pizza, salad, Coke. Um, my weight was, um, I think uh, it was up one point four pounds. So I was down three pounds for the week, and that was up one point four pounds from yesterday. So let's think about what was happening. Well, one, I need more sodium for my workout. I need more carbohydrates for my workout, and I want to be able to perform the best I could. Um, it worked. Uh, you know, I was pretty happy with my workout. The only adjustment that I would have made, you know, to 16.2 would be I got to like the 135 pound level, and it would have if I got past that, I would have gotten to four rounds. It was going to be very difficult for me to get past four rounds. I'll just tell you, my wind's not there at the moment. Um, but the, I was doing the squat clean in one motion, and I would have been a lot better off doing a clean in a front squat. Um, I think it was like two and a half minutes left on the clock for me to kind of get to the next level. And by the time, uh, you know, it took me like a minute just to get through three reps, and I still had 11 reps to go. By the time I moved to the clean and front squat strategy, um, it was a lot easier, but I had sp expended so much energy on those first three reps that ultimately I didn't make it to the next round. So if I was doing it again, as it starts to get to that kind of next level, like normally 135 pounds would not be very heavy for me, but I'm not, you know, I'm not like Mr. Squat Clean Guy. I was actually sort of surprised at how well I did squat. Squat clean is kind of a movement I stay away from just because it doesn't, um, it doesn't, 
I'll end up, you know, feeling it in my back. Typically, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I don't this morning, but, um, it, but in general, it's pretty good. Um, so, so my point being is that whether you're doing it and you're trying to lose weight, you have to have something that you're keeping track of. And in my case, I, I use the scale, you know, um, you can use body measurements. I think a lot of the times people set up their deficits and when they do it too intuitively, they're too extreme. And then when they do it non-intuitively, they, they don't do it enough, right? They, they get like in the minimal effective dose and then you like look at the math and you're like, how, how much weight are you down? And they'll say, well, I'm down three pounds. And I go, well, that seems about right given the deficit that you're in, you know, and, and people don't think that there is kind of a math component to this. Now, certainly, you know, it's compromising metabolism and we do podcasts on that all the time and you can listen to all those, but you know, we're going to try and finish this up here soon. But in general, you're, your you know, maintenance and expansion periods needs to be so ingrained in your body that it allows your deficit periods. And so for me to kind of have a bit of a deficit where essentially I'm, I'm, I'm reducing my, my carbohydrate intake by reducing the oatmeal, honey, and peanut butter, I saw three pounds down. Now what's going to happen is, is you know, as I normalize the way that I eat today, and kind of normalize the next three to four days. Um, once again, you know, my goal is a pound or two at the most. And, you know, if you get to that point where, you know, you sort of dry your body out and you're trying to get to that next level, I mean, to a certain extent, getting rid of the water does matter for people because after the water, really, you're going after body fat. So, from my perspective, people really look at the deficit as the down, 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 down. And I would argue that it's really the volume that that makes a big difference. <laughs> you can hear my dog barking in the background. Um, but it's the volume that, that you keep in that's going to make a difference. And hopefully what you can do is kind of keep your volume and energy levels up to enough to where it's not that extreme. Because it's 11 o'clock right now, all I've had is coffee. I don't feel particularly unenergetic at this point. Sarah's also shaking her head. I think it's probably noon yeah. where you are, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, for people that aren't used to this, you know, don't, don't, you know, look at this and go, you know, you know, this is something I absolutely, and it's going to change my life. We're not saying that. We're, we're saying Let's look at strategies that you can use to kind of get yourself a result, you know, but, you know, having, you know, if you have a high volume day, you know, position your date nights or whatever, you know, it is, you know, sometimes you will have things that come up and, you know, all of a sudden a friend shows up on Sunday night that you haven't seen in 20 years, you know, don't, you know, just go chicken and celery, you know, for that day, you know, cause your friend will hate you, you know, just, you know, factor that into the process 
And, you know, most of, if you look at the, the weight gain from yesterday, that's sort of normal. It's sending my body a signal. Hey, look, we're not starving here. And really kind of upregulating at that point. And that will be one of the things. But probably, I'd say probably a half hour after leaving this podcast, I'm going to go for probably a two-hour hike with 45 pounds on my back. So, you know, and and I may not eat, you know. Um, I If I don't feel that I need to eat at that point, I won't. But what I will do is I'll bring like a protein bar or something like that. So if I start to feel like, like Sarah said, if your blood sugars start to, to, to mess with you, you're going too far, right? That's kind of the basic message. Um, I'm just trying to think. I, just want to say, I had a heavy squat night the other night. We, me and Nicole ended up getting a really late squat session in, and we both just needed like carbs, and we were like, well, we both want kind of ice cream. So I made chocolate brownie Belgian waffles ice cream sandwiches out of them. Both me and Nicole were down two pounds the next day. Like we, yeah. we had eaten more protein and fat in the day, and then we had, you know, we were like, you know what, I really don't care if it fits. I'm going to hit calories, but I'm not necessarily going to hit my, you know, my breakdown. And I'm in maintenance right now. We had two gigantic ice cream sandwiches. and Yeah, I mean, you know. like, like um, one of the things that, you know, people always say, they don't think of their metabolism as dynamic, and it is. Um, they don't think that it can change and it does. Um, most women think I can't handle glucose well. Scientifically, women handle glucose better than men. So all these things that people think that they know, they don't end up being true. Now, what Sarah's saying though is we squatted. We uses bit we used big muscles. And by the way, I still want to see that. Nicole and Sarah reality TV show. I think that would be the most entertaining thing since Laverne and Shirley. I could pull her in here, but I won't. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So Paolo was saying, I agree. Yesterday I had a lentil soup with chopped beef and too many waffles with Nutella. Funny thing, my fast glucose went 99 today, finally under 110 levels. How does this work? Yeah, I think that part of you know what he's saying uh, well i actually don't know if he's a she or not <laughs> um the uh but i'm assuming that that it's a male but i you know it's kind of like the european names it's a she, it's a she? yeah yeah oh i'm sorry the um well but the image you know see this is why this is why i hate it when people use like their pets as images and so um so yeah you know, it's, it's sort of hard to tell the, the sex of users at that point. But, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, we know most of the people that are on here. We talk to them fairly often. And so, um, but yeah, in, in that case, I, I never really knew if it was a male or female. But yeah, the, uh, no, it, it is interesting. And, you know, I, I think what happens is that, that the experimentation where, you're trying to kind of figure out what works for you is, is something that a lot of people are sort of impatient with and they don't allow for some level of understanding. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. You know, my volume actually hasn't been where it normally is. So I, I didn't body fat test. Um, 
I, I do have a body fat test in my house, but I'm waiting for my volume to start to increase before I do it because I don't want, you know, I don't want to get like the wrong impression. But I think what's probably going to happen is, is as my volume starts to increase and I start to get into that three to four week window, I'm fairly certain that I put on somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six pounds of muscle, but we'll see once I test it. I can just tell you from the way that I look without clothes on, you know, that my lats are bigger, my quads are bigger, you know, my, my, you know, what do they call the, um, boxer briefs, you know, fit snugger, you know, around my quads. And so, you know, so certainly there's been some level of hypertrophy in that process. So I think we sort of covered intuitive eating. You know, the one thing that I will say is that for Sarah and I both, we do eat, you know, we do know how much protein is in a four ounce piece of chicken or a six ounce piece of chicken. If you don't know that, you should know that first, you know, before you start trying to intuitively eat. I think once you try, I don't think you have to like meticulously track forever, but I think tracking it first and getting used to what feels good and getting to it and finding that out, it really helps you intuitively eat. I cannot track all day and be almost perfect spot on maintenance numbers. And it's just because I know how it feels. I, you know, and I eat for that feeling now. And I can be like, okay, well, I've only eaten, you know, a chicken, like a four ounce chicken breast and so on and so forth. It looks about four ounces. I should probably eat some of this to hit my protein numbers. You know, I can tell I'm low on protein. So I think, you know, tracking for a while, even if it's like the first three months to get an idea of what that food feels like, you will find that even not even trying or thinking about it, that you're eating for your activity and you're eating correctly for you. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to say about um, the question was most of the time, if you're coming from a lower carb background and then all of a sudden, like you get really, your insulin sensitivity gets really weird. So if now you're all of a sudden starting to put things like Nutella and waffles back into your diet or under workouts, you're probably going to find that your blood sugar does get better because you're not restricting. So you're not restricting, 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 and not letting those levels elevate, and then all of a sudden you'll have a meal, and then your blood sugar goes through the roof. Um, so we should we should at least throw out the qualifier that we're not doctors. If you yeah. if if you know you want to be kind of you know everyone reacts to foods differently, and so you know if you need medical advice, you know go to a doctor yeah. for that. But we're just giving you oh, our yeah. anecdotal experiences. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, with me particularly, uh, I cut a lot of carbs out, and I had really bad blood sugar issues, and I found when I started to put things like that back into my diet on a regular basis, and not when I was just, like, going out on Sundays to eat two Krispy Kreme donuts with a McDouble in the middle of it, like we used to do on our cheat day, (laughs) that I got a lot, my blood sugar did stabilize a lot better. Of course, obviously, I'm not a doctor, and I don't have, like, diabetes or anything like that, but, and I don't monitor on a regular basis, but, um. I mean, I really, I I just remember, you know, kind of the, the, you know, epic, you know, when, when a cheat meals were kind of a thing and you'd make these lists and then, you know, you would, you would, you know, have those, all the lists of the foods that you would get sick, you know, like you would get bad diarrhea and dehydrated and, and, and then, then of course, 
you know, you're trying to figure out the magic solution. And ultimately you realize like, I'm just, this is not something that's good for my life, you know? And, and, you know, if, if that works for you, you know, we have no judgment on that. Right. But if you're constantly moving back and forth and you're never really seeing any results that way, you know, analyze that and go, well, how can I, how can I make changes? And maybe the things that I think are bad, you know, actually aren't near as bad as I thought. And so if you experiment with that process a little bit and don't think of things as extreme, but I would say the biggest thing that, you know, the, the overriding message that we're talking about is if you are normalizing your food situation, you know, it's been a, it's been a while since I've reduced my calories right at about a year. The fact that I've been eating normal and, and at maintenance and actually a little bit plus because I was trying to build muscle in that time period, you know, that is the thing that's going to make it more favorable for me to see success in what may or may not be a down period. <laughs> you know, the, I, I, I mean, my default, you know, I talked about this, you know, in a post in our private forum that my defaults are more work and more food. You know, that's what works for me. That's what I like, you know. And for everybody, there's some balance that they need to find that works for them. But what I think happens too often for people is they just default to less food and more work. And, you know, I think that, you know, certainly my, you know, even though, you know, I'm not eating my glorious oatmeal, um, my, my, my calories are still kind of, you know, probably 22 to 2,500 calories, you know, on a daily basis. And I'm still, you know, having date night and still, you know, eating for performance on, on days with higher volume and certainly nothing to the extremes that, you know, I've kind of experimented with in the past and been able to move on from. Um, let's see, Paolo is saying, I'm actually experimenting with myself to see if I can lower fasting glucose. I've been adding carbs at every meal, mostly slow carbs throughout the day, but you guys gave me a different way of thinking when it comes to carbs. Thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, there's an argument for um, carbs with fiber. When we talk about slow carbs, it's basically sl slow carbs with fiber. The other thing that you can do um, is, you know, to not get like kind of that blood sugar thing is... Uh, you know, carbs with fat, um, fats will also kind of blunt. And so when we talk about glycemic index and stuff like that, and, you know, this has already gone long enough, you know, we're not going to go into that very much. But, you know, the rarely are you eating foods fasted. You're almost always eating foods in a mixed meal. And so when you're talking about fiber, when you're talking about fat, those blunt the signaling from, you know, your faster carbs. And certainly we're not making an argument, you know, we're going to always make the argument for more starches and loading of starches in muscles. So you end up having more fuel for, for work. But does that mean that you can never have something that you enjoy? I mean, I literally just told you that I had a Coke with pizza last night in Starburst, you know, um, does that mean, you know, the, the problem with the way that a lot of people think is they think, oh, if I were to eat Starburst, you know, I would eat Starburst all the time. And beyond Sarah and I's, you know, jokes about the being like crack, uh, 
I mean, the crack lives at Walgreens and I have to go buy the crack. And, you know, having a more flexible way of eating actually does the opposite of what most people think. If you're constantly starving yourself and you're constantly in energy deprivation mode, yeah, that can be a net negative. But when you allow for these types of foods in your diet, they don't end up holding the same power over you the way that you think that they would. Now, that of course assumes that you're eating an adequate amount for what you're doing. And if you don't, well, then you will obsess about food all the time. And that's the argument that we're making at Eat to Perform is that if you have some level of performance, that your calorie levels can be, you know, at an adequate amount the good majority of the time where you can fit in a normal amount of foods and be fine. Um, the only last thing that I will, will hammer home is making sure that you have not only an adequate amount of calories, but also maybe some carbohydrates um, before bed. I think sleep in a period where you're not, actually my sleep has been as good as it's ever been, but I would argue that the volume that I'm doing in the morning does tire me out. Um, sometimes when I am in kind of a cutting phase, I, I do nap more, you know, which is kind of interesting. And then I still sleep well, you know, and I think that's sort of normal too, right? You know, I mean, when you're taking from somewhere, you got to get it back somewhere. And all in all, the experience has been not glorious whenever you change your routine you know that's not glorious but but overall you know i'm happy so far and we'll see how things go um anything you want to end on sarah uh no i think we covered pretty much everything we've been going on for a while too yeah well it's kind of a you know i mean obviously i'm long-winded uh, that's that's always the criticism that people put out there and it's true i mean but you can't cover these topics Without, you know, I know the five questions that are going to come up as it relates to that. So that's why I'm going to address those questions. I mean, we've been asked these questions for three years, you know. Yeah. So, so a lot of people that go, well, why did he go in depth on that topic? Well, because even though it didn't matter to you, it's going to matter to someone. And so I wanted to make sure I brought it up. So I appreciate Sarah filling in here. And I think we'll just shut it down from there. Appreciate everybody listening. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.